0: You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production.
1: Hi, I'm Deb Seminary. I'm here with my husband, Mike, the host of Mike Seminary and Friends. Hi, hon. Hi. I'm excited to hear more about this
0: week's show because we love eating at her restaurant. Butterhorn, Stephanie Miller. It was a lot of fun visiting with her. It would have been more fun if we could have been visiting in the restaurant and eating. But that didn't happen. Why didn't you do that? I wasn't smart enough. No. I'm on a diet. Okay. Not really.
1: Well, next time, figure that one out because I'd like to join you.
0: It's like one of my favorite restaurants.
1: They have, they do have good butter horns. Butter horns.
0: They used to have great (laughs) Italian meatballs. I'm not sure if they're on the menu now. I'd have to check. Well, let's let people find out for themselves after they listen to the show. Here we go.
1: Welcome to Mike Seminary and friends.
0: I don't know how many things I enjoy more than eating. You have to eat to survive. Maybe close is actually preparing. I I do enjoy spending time in the kitchen, creating fairly basic recipes. Don't like reading them because I'm I, I just not one of those kind of guys. So I, I really love that. It's therapeutic. There's certain meals I prepare on a regular basis. I just, they're yummy to me. I really enjoy going out to restaurants where they prepare the kind of food that just kind of gets me going. And that's what we're going to do today. I have the great pleasure of having joined me one of my favorite chefs one of my favorite restaurants and they have my favorite meatballs stephanie miller from butterhorn stephanie thank you for taking time to join me on Mike Seminary and friends it's great to see you how are you
1: i'm very well mike how are you
0: i'm great i i survived the blizzard because yes. we don't have a choice right
1: no you have to <laughs> <laughs> And believe it or not,
0: I didn't miss one day of running the whole time. I, I found a way to get out there.
1: I saw that, actually, and I, I was cheering you on the entire time you were posting. Oh, my goodness. That guy has you, – you are amazing. I could not do that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's very kind. That's not what – with very few cars that passed me. That's not what they were saying, necessarily, as they would go by me. But thank you very much, Stephanie. yeah you are encouraging. <laughs> well, i I don't actually know where to start, other than I love what you're doing. I love your restaurant, I love your meals. I'd say I love you, but then my wife would really probably say something to me. But well, I love you and your husband, Shane.
1: I know, oh, thank you. That that's amazing. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so let let's start at the
0: at the beginning. Before we jump into Butterhorn and the amazing things you're doing there. When did you become interested in I'm gonna start with the basic question? When did you become interested in cooking?
1: I became interested in cooking at a really young age, um, probably four or five, honestly, watching my grandma, both my grandmas and my mom cook in the kitchen and seeing just the type of culture it brings, you know, the type of love, the type of um, happiness it brings to everyone. And once you see that and and you feed people and and you see how much they enjoy it, it really um, it sticks with you and it's hard for me nowadays to to find an emotion or find a feeling that tops that to feed people and, and nourish them and to make them happy. That's kind of the number one on my list.
0: <laughs> yeah. When when you were growing up observing this, was it a real social type of uh, environment and atmosphere?
1: Uh you know, not really. It was almost a necessity. Um, both my parents grew up on farms and ranches, um, and it was they go to work early in the morning. They come back. We feed them. They go back out in the fields. They work nonstop, and they come back, and we feed them again. Um, it was a lot of hard work for my grandma and my grandpa and my mom and my dad. They put in a lot of time and effort growing up, and and living the lifestyle that that they lived, but um, I think that's for a lot of people in North Dakota. It's hard work, and and to feed a family is hard work. But the um, the 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 joy you get out of it, and the that's my dog, by the way. Sorry, that's if you hear him, that's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, hey, hold on, let me let me let me let him out. Um, but yeah. Mm, I don't,
0: Hey, come here, you goofball! <laughs> He's a husky, so I, he likes
1: to talk a lot. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. But uh, so yeah,
0: it's, it's maybe more your 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 grandmother on my mother's side of the family. I can't speak enough to my dad's because. I didn't know that. I didn't know them very well, Mm -hmm. but my mother's side of the family, primarily German, Mm -hmm. out in Western North Dakota, when I got to know my great aunts, here's one thing I noticed about them: they had they had big hands because they were always hardworking, and every almost everything in the kitchen was. Handmade, homemade. People didn't go to the grocery store. I mean, they made, you know, eating yeah. flour and dough and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was never very social because it was, you're, you're done doing this chore task and all of a sudden now it's a meal preparation. And a lot of stereotypical families back then it was always the woman in the kitchen mm-hmm. taking care of all of this. And then when they were they were done they cleaned clean up the kitchen and so on and so forth but they were always using their hands working very hard because there were very few other tools they could use mm-hmm. to help them prepare meals yeah kind of your experience with your grandma
1: yeah i mean it, and me looking at my hands too i mean kneading pasta and kneading dough is a hard job so i have big i have big hands and i have big forearms from kneading and stuff and um just the amount of effort it takes for, for women or anyone in the kitchen, you know, the, taking care of their family. It's, um, it's really hard work, and it's very honorable for anyone who decides to go mm-hmm. to do that.
0: Nothing better than homemade pasta, by the way. <laughs> when did the idea of this as a career profession uh, start grabbing your attention, and you knew this is what you had to do?
1: Uh, I I think it was honestly when I met um, Shane, uh, my husband now, he, I was kind of in the direction of wanting to be in medicine and I was having hesitations about it and not being happy or not really feeling the feeling that I have when I'm in the kitchen cooking and prepping and listening to music and, you know, just that kind of joy that you get from that. And he just sat down and told me, well, what, what are you doing? what do you want to do with your life? I want to cook. Well, go cook basically is what he said. And um, so he was definitely a driving force into uh, having me go into the culinary field for sure. Did you meet in a restaurant? Where did you meet? I'm. We met um, my best friend at the time uh, asked me to go to Montana for a family reunion and I was 19 years old, and I've never been to Montana, believe it or not. So I said, absolutely, I'd love to go. And um, we met, Shane and I met there. They were cousins. My best friend and Shane were cousins. And we met at a family reunion, and um, uh, he was graduating college, and he's worked in restaurants his whole life. So he's kind of had that passion, too, and it was just kind of, it was fate, I like to like to think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So jumping ahead, and if there are important pieces in between what you just said and where I want to go with regards to uh, Le Cordon Bleu College, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're – was that online, or did you go to the Twin Cities to attend the uh, Culinary Arts School?
1: Yeah, I moved to Minneapolis. Yep.
0: Okay. Well, so when you're at uh, the Culinary Arts School, Le Cordon Bleu College – Did you learn, in terms of curriculum, did you learn the business side? Did you learn the cooking and the prep? Did you learn all those things that are necessary to be able to present uh, good meals that were appealing and would sell and help you stay in business? Tell me kind of the curriculum.
1: Uh, I think there were different stages of the curriculum. I wanted to get in and get out really as fast as I could. And I wanted to go experience kitchens in the real world and in in Minneapolis. Um, So I only stayed for a year. And in that year, I really only learned uh, culinary skills. I didn't really learn the business side of things, Um, how to manage a restaurant, how to open a restaurant, how to keep a restaurant afloat. I never really got any of those, those business, that business knowledge from school it was really just about uh the cuisine yeah it it was it was all about the food
0: was that part of the curriculum available if you if you would have stayed is there is it is it like any other typical university or college is there there's a year what year program of two three or four How, how long could you have gone if you Would have stayed more than one year.
1: Um, you know, it's been so long. I, I can't really remember, <laughs> but I was there for a year. I think there was an 18-month program, um, and that was as long as it went. Uh, and I don't know the curriculum that that really entailed. I think it dived more into the business side of things, but I was just kind of itching to get out there and itching to get a job. So uh, I didn't really, really think twice.
0: So what was the next phase, working uh, in the food industry in the Twin Cities?
1: Yeah, so I after culinary school, I got a job at actually a James Beer-nominated restaurant. Um, I had a really good teacher that gave me a really good glowing recommendation to a chef. Uh, he still works out there called Doug Flicker, and he was probably the most important person that I could have met in my culinary journey. Uh, he kind of had the creative drive and the passion, and, the, you know, he, he just kind of had everything. And so I learned a lot from him. And then once you have a name like that under your belt you, in, the, in the Twin Cities, you can kind of go wherever you want. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to have the opportunity to really pick where I wanted to go.
0: So you and Shane met in Montana. You're <laughs> now in Minneapolis, finished a year at the Cordon Bleu. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're working in a restaurant um, in, in the Twin Cities. Shane is also somewhere in the cities working in the food business as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. He he worked at also a lot of really good places from, um, you know, to high end to just like an awesome burger joint and uh, in one of the suburbs. Uh, but, yeah, he was managing a couple of restaurants there when I was there.
0: This is completely off subject. Okay. A while back, uh, Deb and I were in the cities, and there's this fellow I've been following. In fact, I interviewed him on podcast. Okay. Zach Vois is his name. Zach does, he creates his own ice cream. And he was doing it as a side gig at A to Z Creamery, and now he's full-time and doing really well. One time he had told me, and then I've seen posts from him about this place called Mojo Monkey Donuts. It's a it's a bakery that just does, does donuts over in Saint Paul. I went and had some. It was absolutely amazing. I'm 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 sure if I'd have had two, I'd probably have been a candidate for a heart attack. But they were so amazing. And the reason I bring it up is the way they were presented in the in the display case. It was just like I'm a kid in a candy store looking at these. I don't know which one to pick.
1: Sounds like my the type The reason of I
0: bring place. this up, is, what's that?
1: Sounds like my type of place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were so good. I'll send you pictures. And... The reason I bring it up is that you, when you're talking about Shane, he worked at a variety of places from mm-hmm. high-end to a great burger place. Mm-hmm. When I hear somebody say a great burger place, and I love burgers, and, and I love great burgers, there there is something really significant about a place that does great burgers. I agree. Um, it, I just get drawn into them. Back to Shane – And then I want to ask you a question Mm -hmm. when he's in the food industry, is he also learning the business side of, of the business and you're focusing on the creation and the creativity and the presentation side?
1: Yeah, well, he went, Shane is five years older than me. So he graduated college actually with a um, degree in sports science and business. Um, And after he graduated, I think he kind of just realized, too, that the restaurant industry is really where he was passionate about. And so moving to Minneapolis, he really focused in on, you know, what you're talking about, learning learning everything he could about the business side of restaurants, be a $5 burger to a, a $50 steak. Uh, so he, he kind of wanted to learn everything just like I did.
0: How did the concept – in and I remember the first time hearing about it when I'm on the City Commission and you had a Renaissance Zone project, if I'm not mistaken, with regards to Butterhorn. Where along the line is you two are in Minneapolis? Did the concept of Butterhorn come into the discussion? And how did that whole process become what it is today? How did that take place?
1: Uh know yeah, the, the concept of Butterhorn happened quite a bit after we actually moved. Uh we just moved back to Bismarck and back to North Dakota because I missed it. <laughs> I miss my family, hmm. I miss the quality of life, I miss the people here. North Dakota is such an incredible special place. Um that Shane you know, Shane fell in love with it too, even though he's a Montana guy at heart. But um So once we moved, we kind of had to figure out, okay, well, what what are we going to do now? And uh, we were going to start a catering company because I think there's a a great need for that in town, a high-end catering company. But we walked by the location that Butterhorn is now, and we kind of just fell in love with it. It was kind of an immediate, okay, well, this is going to be a restaurant. How how was this going to happen? So we found the place and then everything else kind of happened, happened after. Uh, I, I don't like to say we built Butterhorn. I kind of like to say Butterhorn built us or found us, you know, it was, it was kind of a special time.
0: So I begs the question for me, as you found the spot, which is today, Butterhorn, mm-hmm. it's in a fairly historic building that, that, that particular building has been in downtown Bismarck for quite a while. Probably our mind ages together longer than that. So something about the character of the building sucked in. What was it, do you, if you recall, that told you and Shane, this is the place?
1: I think it was just the building... Um that was exactly what it was. It wasn't trying to be anything else. You know, it was a little broken down, in it, but it had beautiful ceilings, tall ceilings that had amazing natural light. Um, it just, it just when, as soon as Shane and I walked in, it kind of just felt like home to us. Um, and that's kind of a good a reason as any, you know, to take a leap of faith and open up a restaurant that, Ninety-five percent of them don't succeed, and and hopefully it'll work. Uh, and thank goodness we did.
0: I like the way you said that. Open it up. Ninety-five percent of them don't. Is it that? Is it that high? Ninety-five percent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think within the first five years, a lot of them fail.
0: You're in year five or six.
1: Um, we will be. This is year five. Yeah. Year five. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's interesting because you've had your fair share of challenges that a lot of restaurants typically mm-hmm. wouldn't have in the first five years. COVID,
1: yeah,
0: um, a blizzard events that sh- make it almost impossible for people to stop because there's no place to park. So that says something about what you're doing inside of those walls that is very very appealing. So let me, let me jump to this. I remember the first time Deb and I went in. It was pretty busy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there we were asked if we would like to sit down in the upstairs was real full, they said, well, we have a downstairs where you could go and sit down. And if I recall, we, we go down the stairs, and you get there, and off to the right, kind of, is this quaint little, really nice seating area for just a handful of people, and then tables. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there going, this is the coolest place in the world. The, the, the whole atmosphere was just, I can't believe I'm sitting in this place, um, and we were just absolutely sh- stunned because it's like we we step back in time, yeah, and uh, we, we were just absolutely hooked. And it was also the night that I had meatballs, your meatballs for the first time, and they were, and butterhorns. <laughs> and I was just absolutely hooked. So back to where I wanted to go with this question. When, when you finally had the plans and the archi- architects involved, and created what there is today, mm-hmm. is that exactly how you were envisioning it? This, as you said, these high ceilings, this great place, this great exposure to the street, and this historic building—the way it is today—is that what you were envisioning? And then my question to follow up is. How did that influence the menu that you wanted to prepare, Stephanie?
1: It was probably about 90% how I envisioned it. I think once you, you sign on the dotted line and you get the ball rolling, there's so many rules and regulations that that almost make it impossible to have 100% of what you want, your vision, come to life. Um, like I wanted a whole wall of like a... a Uh, almost like a greenery or or where we grew our own micro herbs and, and um, people could see that as they dined, they could see this wall of where we're picking fresh herbs and vegetable kind of to be plated. Uh, But that kind of got knocked out with just where the steps and the restrooms and everything needed to be. Um, But, but for the most part, yeah, it was exactly like how shade and I pictured it. And, I think coming back from Minneapolis and knowing people of Bismarck and North Dakota, I didn't want to make the menu so ego-driven and so um, just kind of full of itself, I guess. I wanted to make it just simple, meatballs, and we had a burger on the menu and we had a steak on the menu. We wanted to make sure that no matter who came in, they felt comfortable dining there. We just wanted to make sure that it was the best quality product that we could provide for the price that we gave it. Um, and and it's fun to kind of throw in some fun ingredients and do some some sleight of hand, or in the culinary world, you know, make it look pretty and make it look nice. But at the end of the day, I know that people here, myself included just want quality things, and it doesn't necessarily need to come with a, a bow. You know what I mean? I just want a good product. So that's what we tried to do with the menu.
0: Now one of the things I just heard, and here's how I heard it, that there is a certain level of common sense that you applied to menu creation and then presentation. Because it's you, you have to take into account your environment mm-hmm. and the potential customers that you would have. Mm-hmm. And as a, as creative as someone could be in the culinary business, because it's an art. I mean, it's just like the mm-hmm. Jessica Walker uh, creation behind you. Yeah. If if you get overly, this is my question and almost a, an opinion at the same time. If you get overly creative and factor out too much, the typical customer you have you could put yourself in a tough position is that a fair statement?
1: Oh a hundred percent I think when we first opened having a menu that changed four times a year that was a risky thing you know now I think there's a lot of other restaurants that that do that and are you know are are taking up seasonality of product but people were not pleased when we said we're gonna change the menu in three months um. It was a, a risky thing, but that's one way I wanted to push the diner. you know, I wanted to I want the diner to trust me just like I would trust them. You know, I'm gonna give you a good plate of food. Trust me, just come back. <laughs> please, please come back. <laughs> uh, and and I love cooking and I and I th- there is an art form to it. But you can almost kind of get lost into it and and where the food isn't really food anymore. It's not what you want it to be. It's something else entirely. And I appreciate those restaurants, too. Um, But for my style of cooking, I wanted it to be more from the heart um, with a little bit of creativity instead of a lot of creativity and no heart.
0: Mm. The butter heart and the name of the incredible restaurant how did the butterhorn become kind of the anchor menu item how did that happen
1: i think any any good restaurant needs um like you said an anchor it needs a reason to be it needs a why are you opening a restaurant another restaurant just like every other restaurant on main avenue or bismarck or mandan why butterhorn um and that's exactly why i i had a deep connect connection with this pastry or with this bread that i grew up eating and hopefully as a chef my goal is to to make it in such a way that other people feel the same passion that i do towards it so uh that's that's was the butterhorn was our anchor, and hopefully people grabbed on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, they're so good. I mean, they're just amazing. It, it it is one of those. Is it a pastry or a bread? What what is it technically? By the way, it,
1: it's a it's a quick it's a quick rise bread. Um, okay, but traditionally they have like ice. It's it's normally served sweet. But obviously for bread service at a restaurant, you don't want to serve sweet bread. Um, So instead of putting icing or anything on it, we just did butter and salt. And hopefully that worked out and it did.
0: They are so amazing. I I don't eat a lot of bread. I don't eat a a lot of bread with butter, by the way, for, for just some weird reasons. That butter horn, it just absolutely melts in your mouth, and I, I, I just absolutely love them. Thank you. Soups. You make some of the most amazing soups I've ever had. Did you learn the, I'm going to call it art, of preparing these wonderful soups, when you were in culinary school? And then did you continue, I hope this is, isn't an insult when I say this, mm. and did you continue to experiment with soup recipes when you came back here and opened up a Butterhorn?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily learned soup making at Le Cordon Bleu. Um, they definitely teach you the traditional way to do it. Um, I think when I really kind of fell in love with it is when I worked at Heartland in St. Paul, and they're kind of their goal is to source everything in a 30 mile radius. So they don't butter, they make their own soy sauce, they break down their their own cows, make their own cheese. Like they they're really sourcing locally and you kind of had to make do with what you had seasonally. So that pushed us to on the line, we had a different menu every day to really get creative on what type of food that we served so that um you know pushed me kind of for the rest of my career to just get creative with with what we had around us and having different flavor combinations that isn't your standard chicken noodle soup or you know, your tomato bisque is um it's really fun and it's something that it's not such a risk for the guest. You know, it's a $6 six to $8 cup or bowl of soup. So it's not like they're spending $45 on something that they might not like. It's. I wanted to get a little bit creative with something that was more easily accessible to everyone instead of a, a really big risk. So that's why I tried to vary that and make that a little bit unique and special.
0: Everyone I've had has been remarkable, and everyone I've had... Absolutely welcomes having a butterhorn dipped into it, especially when I'm almost done with the bowl. The butterhorn works it great to clean it out almost completely, like you could use that again for the next guest. I just want you to know that's all that works for me,
1: yeah, we know we plan that, don't we don't you worry? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me go back to Covid, and I'm sorry to bring up something that, that I'm sure probably scared the bejeebers out of you and Shane, and plenty of others. So you're approximately three years, uh, maybe towards the end of your third year, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, a black swan event that everybody's has to deal with. You had to deal with, uh, so you you could have you could have shuddered. You you could. You, I'm sure you quickly. Um, found a way to take advantage of the uh, payroll protection program, whatever that thing was called. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had to turn on a dime to figure out, here are the parameters that 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 we're dealing with. How can we operate? Share with me how that conversation went in the beginning for you and Shane and the team members, if others were involved. Mm-hmm. And how quickly you had to make decisions to say we can get through this.
1: Yeah, I I think at that time it Shane was still the general manager and I was still the chef, so it was really just a conversation between us. Um, it was, it was honestly, how are we going to survive this? What are we going to do? And knowing that people will probably get to go orders, but they're not going to want to spend you know, the Butterhorn price point on to-go orders because the quality, no matter how good of a job you do packaging it, keeping it fresh, no matter what you do, the quality of the food will go down. If you put it in a box, it steams up, it it gets to, you know, it's, it's just not going to be that quality. So we really, we dropped the price point of a lot of things. We switched to more sandwiches, salads, burgers, chicken sandwiches, um, Kind of quick and easy food, but still done from scratch, and tried to promote the heck out of it. and hopefully people people came to the rescue, and they did. <laughs> Thankfully, they did.
0: yeah, I, I remember waiting in line in front of the uh, butterhorn because there are other cars there. Um, it was it was really joyful to see people willing to support. A question, kind of an awkward one, and this isn't a reflection of any other state and how they handled COVID, but based on your experience, if you and Shane were in business in a state where it was far more restrictive, um, I think we were somewhere in the area of about two months where all of a sudden it was almost back to normal in a way, I mean almost, some states it was six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Could could you have survived, do you think, um, if you had to go that long?
1: I mean, I, I like to think that Shane and I could get through anything. Um, but being here made it a lot easier, I'll tell you that. I mean, political, you know, political views aside, um North Dakota, I think did an incredible job trying to handle the situation as best they could. And, and knowing the people that are from here, you know, handled it the best they could. And I know Mm -hmm. some people hated it. I, I mean, it was just a terrible situation all around, but, um, the fact that we were able even to sell food, uh, not a lot of restaurants could even sell food and, uh, That made it exponentially easier to stay afloat. Obviously, when you're a restaurant, and that's your, that's what you do. So very, very lucky and thankful to have been here when when we were here. You
0: know, for what it's worth, as a a guy that uh, was in public policy in the city that we're talking about for ten years, and having been involved in various forms of economic development locally Mm -hmm. and statewide for thirty-five. Yeah, 35 plus. Thank you. Um, there were times when I'd go out for my morning run during COVID, especially in the beginning, where literally everything was shut down. I'd weep. I, I, I'd I go go by places and I would say to myself, are they going to make it? Are they, are they going to survive? Can they come back? Will they come back whole? All that kind of thing. So I'm, to your point, North Dakota did some really amazing things from leadership to enterprise and and then the community, the people who support it, was really something special, special to see. Well, we we have, in a way, another black swan event, maybe not quite to the degree and depth of COVID, supply chain. And I, I don't know how that's impacting your business, but are you seeing supply chain issues where you have some constraints on Ingredients or supplies that you need on a regular basis?
1: Um, not so much the supply, uh, more as the cost. Um, for example, when we open Butterhorn, um, a case of like local, like fresh tenderloin, which is eight whole tenderloins in a, in a case, um, and we get them whole and then we break them down ourselves was $250. Um now it's $850. Um the cost of eggs has gone up a case is it was $25 now it's 45. Um butter has gone up I mean everything has gone up and and that was from covid starting from covid and and it continues to this day and so that that honestly is the number one Issue we having is the, the price of product and not wanting to um, have it affect our guests like it's affecting us. You know, we want to slowly maybe increase, increase the prices here and there and make it fair, um, but it is really hard. It's There's times where, we're why do we have a steak on the menu? We need to take it off our, our menu. But we're in the Midwest, you know, if you don't have a steak on the menu, What the heck are you doing? Um, But, uh, yeah, that's really hard. And still hard to this day, um, prices of food. And I'm sure people nationwide have experienced the cost of food going up. Um, And it's no different for restaurants, that's for sure.
0: Dumb question, but I'm going to ask it. Especially in the tenderloin case where, you know, it's gone up three and a half times roughly. Mm-hmm. If my math is correct I just know it's short of 4. It, can can you pass all of that on or do you have to eat some of it?
1: You have to eat some. You have wow. to. There's no I mean and maybe maybe in a bigger city I think you could probably get away with that. Um you know just cuz there's that's just Things cost more in larger cities, but for us, Shane and I, we need to have a steak on the menu, but we don't want to go. I mean, if, if we were to make what we needed to make on our steak, it would have to be $55. And it's not, um, we, it like, we kind of break even on it. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of hope that everything else kind of makes up for it. Uh, And and hopefully
0: the price of beef goes down, but who knows? Yeah. So back to the creativity question.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I I love experimenting in the kitchen. And I have to be careful because uh, Deb, my wife, there's some things she just doesn't want to eat. One daughter, there's... Very limited things that she likes to eat. Mm-hmm. The other one will eat en- anything. She uh, scorpions. She what you name it, she will try it. She, it. There isn't something that you could put in front of her that she won't try. It's just, to my knowledge, not one thing. So you have to be careful how you experiment. Mm-hmm. And so when I cook, I I find myself kind of taking this list of possibilities, and of course it's, it's easier too, once you get comfortable and easy, it's easy to prep stuff. But by experimentation, space is kind of small. How, especially when you were the, the main chef and now you have other people involved, how did you make decisions about where to experiment, how much to experiment, and when when... Was there something that you wanted to try, and it was just too risky? Given these, this is the typical palette for most of our North Dakota customers. How how did you make all that
1: work? I think my menu kind of became a fifty fifty split. You know, half of it was tried and true. If if a rancher from North Dakota came in and ordered it, they would be happy, and I wanted that. I wanted people to have a comfortable dish that they knew and every time was going to be good. Um, but also my staff and myself kind of get bored with that. So the other half of the menu, I wanted to change constantly and I wanted to, um, push myself and also push my team. I think your creativity is limited. It can be limited by the people around you. Um, and what their ability was, and from day one, my goal for Butterhorn was to be a learning kitchen and a teaching kitchen, and I wanted to take someone who didn't have any experience but had passion and turn them into someone who had experience and had passion. Um, I think that's what being a good business owner is. So, at at year one or year two, when I had these people that I hopefully brought up and taught well, that I could they could create things with me and they could have fun with me and, and use new ingredients and um, challenge themselves along with me. That, that got to be incredible uh, to work with those type of people that um, you know, a, a lot of people in the restaurant industry are just kind of in it because they think they got stuck in it or, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why people are in the restaurant industry. It's very rare to find someone who is in the restaurant industry because they love it. And uh, so once you find those people, it's that's the real trick is to hold on to them.
0: <laughs> Do you have people that you've mentored and trained that are already competitors for you? Yes. You know? Yeah. That's part of being in business too. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it makes myself work harder and hopefully vice versa for them. There's nothing more rewarding than having someone you've trained come up and, you know, work, compete with you. That's kind of a cool feeling as well. Competition is a good thing in my book.
0: It is. You're going to be changing the menu?
1: Yes, actually, next week we are. We're going to be closed Tuesday for menu training for our staff, and then we uh, open back up on Wednesday.
0: you close for a whole day for menu training.
1: Well, well, we're normally closed Monday, too, and then Tuesday. But, yeah, when we go through food training and drink and beverage training, we are very thorough, and we are detailed, so our staff is well-versed in everything, and – from allergies just to, you know, we're a high-end expensive place and we want to make sure our staff is well-versed and, and knowledge, knowledgeable about our food. So we want to make mm-hmm. sure we take the time to do that.
0: Shelterbuilt. Yeah. Love the name. Thank love you. Love the name. I love it's the name. It's so fitting.
1: I agree. Who
0: came up with the name and how did you decide, I need another restaurant in my life?
1: Um. I came up with a name uh, just because I grew up, you know, I grew up here. Shane grew up in Montana, but we, I grew up hunting and hunting for deer and geese and pheasant and I went fishing and, um, and shelter belts, especially growing up on a farm is just kind of part of the daily lifestyle. And uh, we wanted kind of a casual, I don't want to say dingy, but like dingy in the best way possible kind of dingy. Um, place that just people could come and get good food and a glass of beer and and um feel like that place has been there for 30 years that's what I wanted and um, I think the name kind of gives that off a little bit and hopefully we we're i mean we're still we're still learning for shelter belt too and that we continue to grow and change and evolve and um, be better than we were yesterday. It took a couple of years for Butterhorn to really get going too. So I'm excited for Shelter Belt. It's, it's the, the little brother that uh, will probably grow up to be bigger than its big brother, you know? <laughs>
0: well, you're Adam, right?
1: Yes, Jeff Adam. Adam. Yes. He's a
0: great marketer. He
1: yeah, is really doing a great job. Yes, he is. Yeah, we're lucky to have him. I, I talked to him about it and kind of the idea and he was on board honestly from day one. I wanted to give you know, I have my say I have my say in a couple things and what I really want in the food. And he's like, All right, I got the rest. And I just go in and I try the food and I say yes or no. And and he he's incredible. I don't really have to say no too many times.
0: <laughs> I love them. By the way, for folks that are listening, and if you're not familiar with a shelter belt, here's a, essentially what a shelter belt is. And first of all, you should close your eyes and imagine your state is North Dakota. North Dakota is the low, lowest populated in terms of trees state in the country, by far. At one time, there were almost zero trees across the entire state, almost none. And so when it was the dirty 30s, it was tough here. Well, one of the ways that we dealt with it, and I think it was probably government government mandated with regards to when they were helping the ag industry, Mm -hmm. you had to go out and plant trees. And one of the things folks did is they would, plant rows of trees, sometimes two, three, four, even five trees deep in terms of width, and the shelter belt, depending on how long you wanted it to protect a piece of property, whatever, could be 100 yards long, or or sometimes they're much longer. That's what a shelter belt is. As those trees mature over time, it protects farmland from wind, it protects the homestead or farmstead from wind and snow, but the other thing that it does, it becomes this wonderful habitat for all the wildlife that Stephanie was just mentioning. Deer, pheasant, you name it. If if you're a hunter, one of the places you're going to check out, depending on the time of year, is the shelterbelt. Because they're in there for a variety of reasons. Thus, the name of the restaurant, Shelterbelt.
1: Yep, perfect. Is that
0: a pretty good description,
1: that, Stephanie? You, yeah, perfect, 100%. You got an A plus on that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you very, very much. What you're not gonna share with me what's gonna be on the menu, right? When you switch? No.
1: Um okay. you know, I know about 80% of it. Uh, Chef Rachel's kind of throwing in some surprises too. So we will have it posted next week on Wednesday. Okay.
0: Not a not a problem. <laughs> This question, two part, what's the thing you love most, or at least enjoy the most, about being a chef entrepreneur? What's the thing you like the least about being a chef entrepreneur?
1: Uh, I think when I first started and I first opened Butterhorn, I had this mentality that I was going to do everything, um, that I was going to do it by myself. I was going to make all the food, and that's how I started. I woke up at 6 o'clock. I went in. I prepped everything. I made every single butterhorn. I made every single piece of pasta, and I closed down the dish pit. I sent the dishwasher home, and I closed down, and by that time it was probably midnight. And I used to love that. I used to... Um. really pride myself on knowing that I did everything in the kitchen and the longer I went, the more resentful of myself I got with that. And um, I think I love now is having the ability and to train people and to bring them up and to teach them and them teach me too, you know. It's it's it goes both ways. I'm n- not always a teacher by any means. Um, uh, them coming into my kitchen and and treating it like it's their own and caring as much and 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 I think that part of the community is probably my favorite part. Is um, restaurants are a very sacred thing for people who truly love them. And to make food and to feed to people and to give them nourishment is such a sacred thing, and I'm going to get teary-eyed. But I think doing it with a team is probably something that's my favorite part, and it used, used to not to be. I was very uh, ego-forward. I was very ego-driven, and I, it's me, me, me all the time. I can only do it. I can only make it. Um, but now I have people who make things that I, I that are better than me. I have a pastry chef who can make butterhorns better than me, <laughs> who can make desserts that are way better than anything I could possibly make. I have a chef that comes up with creative dishes that I could never come up with. And um, that's so exciting for me. And a lot of chefs think that that's a negative thing. So I think uh, being being to, Being able to work with a team is my favorite part of it. Also, you know, the guests are obviously huge. um, But if you don't have the team and if you don't have the trust, then you don't really have anything
0: in my mind. Sure. You have a magic wand. And you can wave it over the heads of people that are thinking about pursuing their passion, which is I want to become a culinary professional. Uh, In fact, I want to own my own restaurant. What's the one thing you want them
1: to know? That you're going to fail. And that's okay. Um, I failed a lot in Minneapolis. I did a lot of really, and I'm still failing to this day, obviously. (laughs) The whole nation saw that. Um, I think that it's okay to fail, but keep pushing and, and it does not – I mean, everyone knows the culinary field is not an easy profession. I think it's looked down on a lot, and I think it's belittled by a lot of people. But it's also the superstardom side. It's just two polar opposites of, of the world, I feel. Um, but if you're really passionate about it and you work with the best people you can, you'll get there eventually. Hmm. But you're going to fail. No I mean, that's everyone. That's every person – in every profession.
0: Yeah. I, I want to share something with folks about their dining experience. And this is actually something that we could say about almost anything we have a tendency to judge sometimes. Sometimes, we judge based on a bad experience. Sometimes we judge based on a mistake. And sometimes we'll discount all the incredible experiences and all the victories and focus on something negative. I don't know why that is. I I have done it too, by the way, and I always Mm -hmm. am mad at myself for it. But I think this happened more times than not. In the food industry, in the settings where we go and sit down for a restaurant—not so much where we go through a drive-through and grab a burger or something—but we go in and we sit down to enjoy a meal, companionship, conversation, breaking a bread, all of that. We have a tendency to judge based on a bad experience, and I, I want to kind of put this in perspective, and I'm I'm on a pedestal here and almost a like a preacher and I apologize. We should not do that. First of all. First of all, everyone can make mistakes. Everybody can have a bad day. Uh, everybody that's in business is subject to the quality of things that they purchase in the in the system to provide what it is that we want to purchase, right? And no one's perfect. Most importantly, we can buy a whole lot of stuff online anymore. I'm not one of those guys. I, I don't buy very many things online. I'm a huge believer in spending money locally, spending money face-to-face, doing the walk around to spread money around because I know what that means to the economic and development fiber of the community where we spend our money. And in this case, what it does to support an entrepreneur risk taker, like Stephanie and Shane in their restaurant and the employees and team members that work for them. They're big risk takers and they're providing us this wonderful environment where we can sit down and enjoy fabulous food. And it is fabulous food, very reasonably priced. You said high end. I say high end because the quality is so high. I think the price is so fair, Stephanie, just so you know thank you um and were it not for risk-taking entrepreneurs like shane and stephanie were it not for them then what would we be doing with regard to complaining we'd be complaining about how come we don't have this restaurant how come we don't have this in our town how come we don't have this Mm -hmm. so stephanie thanks so much for what you do Uh, thanks for taking the risk Thanks for dealing with those times that were really challenging and difficult and probably scared the crap out of you and Shane. And there'll probably be more times like that again. We might have another record-setting blizzard and all of a sudden you can't do something for two, three, four days. Thank you for doing that because were it not for you, um, I wouldn't have a butterhorn. I wouldn't have these incredible meatballs. I wouldn't have these incredible soups. I wouldn't have the great environment where... My wife and I get to go and bring friends from out of town when they're here and enjoy Butterhorn, a whole new wonderful experience for them when they come to Bismarck. So thanks for what you do.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I think I get both ways. I I think restaurants really get judged a lot more than other small businesses um, online and reviews, and I I get the other side. I I don't want a guest to come in and have a bad experience and – and not say something. I it's my job and my passion. I want to make sure they have a wonderful experience, um, and and so so saying that it's um, not the best experience or getting a bad review. That's not something that we take lightly. We take it very seriously, and we try and fix all those issues. It's just sometimes, yeah, you get those people who might just be having a bad day, and you know, write something that. <laughs> it just really kind of hits you right in the gut. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but th- th- I mean, I-, I can't complain. I have two amazing restaurants and amazing husband to run it and run it with me. And I mean, I, there's no, I'm not going to complain about it. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll fix, I'll try and fix whatever they're complaining about. I'll do my best, everyone.
0: <laughs> well, we'll have all this information on MikeSeminary.com. Your website is, butterhorn be butter and horn mm-hmm. butterhorn one word 210.com yep and is it shelterbeltnd.com or shelterbelt.com
1: shelterbeltnd yep
0: shelterbeltnd.com you can learn about the menu the character the wonderful folks there when you visit those websites what's the last thing we should know about stephanie and butterhorn and shelterbelt stephanie
1: um that i want to shane and i want to keep growing and we want to keep evolving just you know like hopefully everyone else so um i keep on i want to do a lot of different things and i want to support this town and this community as much as i can so hopefully that means more things in the future
0: thank you so much love what you're doing appreciate you so much thanks for coming on stephanie
1: thank you so much mike have a good evening